Talking Back. I'm your host, Dr. Paula Sperry. For the next half hour, I invite you to join me as we explore health issues in the news and learn from those involved in keeping our community healthy. Our goal is not to diagnose or to suggest treatment, but to celebrate your body's innate potential to heal itself. Good morning, everybody. My name is Dr. Paula Sperry, and I'm here with some what I think are pretty interesting issues in the news. You know, it's really important to keep community radio viable and working for us in the community so we can have shows like Talking Back and other locally produced talk shows coming at you with some real information, not just the stuff that you hear every night on the nightly news. And please consider donating to the station and support local community programming. Just give us a call right now at 508-487-2619 or 1-800-921-9667 or go online and donate. It's real easy. WOMR.org and just smash that donate button and uh, contribute what you can. You might want to call the station too and find out what premium gifts are available for your pledge of donation and support today. We feel the love. Keep it coming. Today on Talking Back, we're going to tackle uh, why we take electrolytes. We're also going to talk about the risks of using NSAIDs for osteoarthritis. Those are our non-steroidal anti-inflammatory drugs. We're going to look at frankenfoods getting even weirder. Our dietary choices are becoming more and more difficult. We're going to look at long COVID and heart attack and what exactly is parchment paper. (laughs) Okay, folks, stick with me. And remember to give us a call and pledge support today to WOMR Community Radio, 508-487-2619 or 1-800-921-9667. First, we're going to take a look at whether or not we should be taking electrolytes. All known multicellular life forms require a subtle and complex electrolyte balance between intracellular and extracellular environments. That is the fluid inside and outside the cells in your body. In particular, it's those fluids need to be balanced in a very specific way. Such gradients affect and regulate hydration of our body as well as blood pH and are critical for nerve and muscular function. Various mechanisms exist in living species that keep the concentrations of our different electrolytes under very strict and tight controls. Electrolyte formulas are given or ingested to replace minerals lost due to sweating, after exercise or surgery, and if you live in hot climates or have an enduring period of sickness. Global sports drink industries estimate to reach $22 billion by the year 2031. However, many electrolyte formulas often do not contain the potential doses 
of essential minerals like magnesium and calcium supported by recent scientific studies. And experts in advanced nutrition add that they are often laden with substances that impair glycemic control and health, such as sugars and worse, artificial sweeteners, such as aspartame and sucralose. Electrolytes are commonly found in fruit juices, sports drinks, milk, nuts, many fruits and vegetables, whole or in the juice form. High quality, conscientiously developed electrolyte formulas may help you to enjoy key benefits like supporting your energy metabolism, muscle function, and having a healthy inflammatory response. And they're regulated by hormones, in general with the kidneys flushing out excess levels. In humans, electrolyte homeostasis or balance is regulated by hormones. Often when you have high blood pressure, your doctor may give you an antidiuretic. Serious electrolyte disturbances, such as dehydration and overhydration, may lead to cardiac and neurological complications. And unless they're rapidly resolved, they result in medical emergencies. Electrolyte replacement is needed when a person has a prolonged vomiting or diarrhea attack, has a response to sweating due to strenuous physical athletic activity, and a homemade electrolyte drink can easily be made by using water, sugar, and salt, but these need to be in precise proportions. Commercial preparations are also available for both human and veterinary use. The electrolytes, magnesium and taurine, play a key role in our energy metabolism by reducing blood pressure and sugar or fat in your blood by helping to balance carbohydrate metabolism. When combined with exercise, taurine supplementation can also improve anaerobic performance and recovery and promote healthier fat tissue metabolism. Recent studies suggest that taurine may support the body's inflammatory response among individuals with elevated basal metabolic indices. Potassium is also needed for proper nerve transmission and muscle contraction. Endurance runners who took potassium phosphate found that potassium may reduce perceived exertion with moderate exercise. Magnesium has also been shown to support the body's inflammatory response as well as to help with muscle soreness that occurs after strenuous exercise. It's especially prudent to replace electrolytes this time of year when it's hot to maintain a well-functioning body. Also important is drinking just the right amount of water to help your body to maintain a proper balance of electrolytes to do the job. People often ask, how much water should I drink? Well, it's very simple to figure that out. What you do is you weigh yourself, you get the number, let's say you weigh 160 pounds. Well, half of 160 is 80. So you take half your body weight, 80, and you convert that to ounces. So a 160 pound person would need to drink 80 ounces of water a day for proper hydration. If you drink too much water, it can tax the kidneys. If you don't drink enough water, so it's gonna elevate your blood pressure. So one half your body weight converted to ounces is what you should be drinking. Keep in mind that a half a gallon is 64 ounces, a quart is 32 ounces, and a pint is 16 ounces, and a cup is eight ounces. So do the math and figure out how much of that you should be drinking every day. 
here's a study that shows that there's little, if any, difference between opioids or a placebo for acute neck and back pain. This study was recently published in The Lancet. The study's authors note that the use of prescription opioids for these conditions is common. However, data supporting their efficacy are scarce. They conclude opioids should not be recommended for acute, nonspecific low back pain or neck pain, given that we found no significant difference in pain severity compared with a placebo. This finding calls for a change in the frequent use of opioids for these conditions found on MedPage Today and The Lancet. Anti-inflammatories and osteoarthritis. Are the rewards worth the risks? This is by Thomas Michaud, the author of Human Locomotion, the Conservative Management of Gait-Related Disorders. He's a 1982 graduate of Western States Chiropractic Colleges, practicing in Newton, Massachusetts, where he's treated thousands of recreational and elite runners. So what do we need to know? Given the widespread use of anti-inflammatories in the management of osteoarthritis and other pain syndromes, you would think that there would be an abundance of scientific evidence suggesting these drugs are actually useful. But as many issues in real science today, it may not necessarily be so. While many people would argue that diet and exercise interventions are too difficult to follow and compliance is low, the risks associated with pharmacological management may be too great. Osteoarthritis, or OA, it's the most common of all joint diseases affecting more than 30 million Americans. In the next few decades, the number of people suffering with osteoarthritis is expected to skyrocket as people are living longer and the percentage of the population that is overweight continues to increase. NSAIDs, non-steroidal anti-inflammatory drugs, commonly used for osteoarthritis, are lacking research support. A common treatment for osteoarthritis is aspirin, ibuprofen, naproxen, things like that. Given their widespread use in the management of OA, let's look at the evidence. In a six-year study of nearly 1,700 people with hip and knee arthritis, researchers from the Netherlands determined that individuals who routinely took NSAIDs for pain management had a 240% increase in the development of hip arthritis and a 320% increase in the development of knee arthritis compared to individuals who rarely use these drugs. Aside from the accelerated development of arthritis, routine use of NSAIDs to manage joint pain significantly increases the risk of gastrointestinal bleeds, hypertension, coronary artery disease, atrial fibrillation, and even congestive heart failure. Disturbingly, 14% of high school and college football players take non-steroidals daily, despite the proven health risks. And you know, the corticosteroids don't seem to fare much better. To reduce potential side effects, physicians frequently prescribe short-term oral corticosteroids, like prednisone, in a less than two week format with the belief that the complication rates will be extremely low due to the short duration of the treatment. Well, to test this theory, researchers from Taiwan took 
2.6 million people who received a short steroidal burst during the study period. These were all low-risk people with an average age of 38. Regardless of their overall health and young age, the rates of GI bleeds, sepsis, and heart failure were alarmingly high. The authors of this study acknowledge that these numbers may represent an underestimation because they excluded people over the age of 64 who are at a much higher risk for complications following corticosteroid intervention. Another common treatment intervention for osteoarthritis is to inject corticosteroids directly into the arthritic joint. Well, in spite of the popularity of this treatment intervention, the relative safety of steroid shots directly into a joint capsule has not been adequately studied. In 2019, doctors from Boston University injected 459 patients presenting with hip and knee arthritis with corticosteroids. Over the next two to 15 months, 8% of these patients developed serious accelerated joint destruction. While an 8% complication rate is high, the authors only followed up on roughly half of the individuals injected, so the complication rates were most likely appreciably higher. The authors of this study were actually surprised by the high prevalence of adverse effects, but in another study of 70 patients by Simone et al. showed that 44% of patients receiving corticosteroid shots into their joints had accelerated progression of osteoarthritis and a shocking 17% developed joint surface collapse. One group received the corticosteroid shots into the joint and the other group did not. In the group that did not receive the injection, 24% had worsening arthritis on their follow-up x-rays but only 1% suffered this joint collapse. Although the exact mechanism for adverse events remains unclear, there is some evidence that corticosteroid injections, especially when combined with an anesthetic, can be toxic to the cartilage in the joint. Rather than bombard an arthritic joint with potentially harmful anti-inflammatories, a safer approach is to encourage regular exercise which has been proven to reduce pain and improve range of motion. Often, simple dietary changes have been shown in the natural health community to make a world of difference. Many substances in our diet, such as compounds present in the nightshade family of plants, which include tomatoes, potatoes, eggplants, and peppers, can cause inflammatory response in some of our joints. Other plant-based compounds like lectin proteins and oxalates found in spinach, chard, and beets, and certain chemicals on our foods such as Roundup and antibiotics can dysregulate our digestive tracts, causing incomplete digestion, leading to malabsorption syndrome. Resulting inflammation can occur, causing arthritis and pain. In a 2013 study evaluating the effectiveness of our diets, diet plus exercise, or exercise alone in the management of osteoarthritis in overweight and obese elderly individuals, nearly 90% of the 454 people who began this 18-month study had significant reductions in pain and achieved more than 10% loss in body mass. Not surprisingly, the combination of diet and exercise achieved the best outcomes, as these individuals had less pain better function, faster walking speeds, 
and a better self-reported quality of life than the diet group did alone. So the bottom line with all these studies is that the most effective way to manage osteoarthritis is not with medication, but with diet and exercise. While many people would argue that exercise and diet interventions are too difficult to follow and compliance is low, it still needs to be presented as an option as the risks associated with the pharmacological management are just too great. References for this were Arthritis and Rheumatism Journal, Medical Science Sports Journal from the journal Radiology, a retrospective observational study from the Journal of Skeletal Radiology. Okay, folks, the frankenfoods are getting even weirder. Even wilder transgenic foods are being produced. Among the latest is piggy soy, a soybean genetically engineered to contain pig protein. According to Mulek, the UK-based company that developed this latest frankenfood, pig genes, are spliced into conventional soybeans to create a soybean with 26.6% animal protein. The exact pig genes used is a trade secret, and as a result of this genetic engineering, the interior flesh of the soybean is also a rosy flesh color. The company is also working on developing a pea plant that produces beef protein. Mulek, which is spelled M-O-O-L-E-C, claims these transgenic hybrids will provide similar taste, texture, and nutritional value as meat without the high cost of cultured or lab-grown meat alternatives. According to New Atlas, Farmers will raise the plants via conventional agricultural practices. Once the beans have been harvested and processed, their proteins will go into meat substitutes and other products. As in the case with lab-grown pork, it is hoped that the commercial adoption of piggy soy could ultimately eliminate the raising and slaughtering of pigs, along with the associated ethical environmental concerns. Mulek has developed a unique, successful, and patentable platform for the expression of highly valuable proteins in the seeds of economically important crops, such as soybeans, says the company's chief science officer, Amit Dingra. This achievement opens up a precedence for the entire scientific community that is looking to achieve high levels of protein expression in seeds via molecular farming. There's currently no word on when foods containing these proteins may be available to consumers. End of quote. As earlier reported on Talking Back, lab-grown chickens is also heading toward our plates. According to Time magazine, on June 21, 2023, the U.S. Department of Agriculture, USDA, authorized the sale of cell-cultivated chicken which is chicken meat grown from stem cells in a bioreactor from good meat and upside-down foods. In addition to these two, more than 100 other companies are working on stem cell-based ground beef and 3D-printed steak and fish and cultured seafood. Those in favor of gene editing frequently stress the fact that it's far more precise than natural breeding, the insinuation being that precision assures we only get desired changes, nothing more, nothing less. But precision does not guarantee safety. Hundreds of unintentional 
genetic changes can occur from a single alteration of a gene and unintended genetic rearrangements and or disruption of gene expression in turn can result in alterations in the biochemical composition of the plant or animal tissue, the production of novel toxins, and production of novel allergens. So if you care about your health, personally, I'd steer clear of all these lab-grown, untested concoctions. There's simply no way to tell how they may affect your health, and no one seems to be interested in studying it. As with mRNA shots, it could be decades before the effects become evident, and by then it may be far too late to roll things back. We may even lose the know-how of how to grow and raise real food, as well as the ability to grow real food because there won't be any unadulterated seeds left to work with unless we break open the doomsday seed vault at the North Pole. So what's up with parchment paper? This is from the greenlivingtribe.com. Parchment paper is also known as baking paper and it's widely used in kitchens around the world. Concerns are raised about the safety of this parchment paper and whether its chemicals could leach into food. Most commercially produced parchment paper is treated with silicone, which enhances its durability and resistance to oil. One concern is the bleaching process involved in the production of parchment paper. Bleached parchment paper may contain dioxin, a toxic chemical that can be released when heated. Dioxin has been linked to various reproductive and developmental diseases. It can transfer to the fatty tissues in our bodies and remain there for as long as 7 to 11 years. Silicone cookware is made from a combination of silicon, carbon, and or oxygen creating a rubber-like structure. While silicone cookware generally exhibits higher heat resistance than plastic, it's still made with a synthetic rubber, which ideally should not come into contact with food. Silicone bakeware can release chemicals, especially in the presence of oils, raising concerns about potential health risks. The FDA recognized silicone dioxide, the basic elements in silicone cookware, as safe for food-grade contexts back in 1979, a decade prior to the invention of the silicone spatula. However, no follow-up studies have been conducted by the FDA to determine whether silicone can leach out of cookware and contaminate your food. Moreover, studies have found that siloxanes leaching from silicone nipples in baby bottles and bakeware still being potentially carcinogenic and endocrine disruptors. So what are some alternatives to parchment paper coated with silicon. Use non-stick, non-toxic baking sheets, not ones that are coated with fluoride containing chemicals like Teflon. Stainless steel chemical-free bakeware is a good choice or pure ceramic non-toxic bakeware and unglazed stoneware. You can use silicone non-toxic bakeware and glass non-toxic bakeware. These materials are safe, durable, and do not pose the same risks associated with chemicals that leach into the food. While parchment paper is widely used and convenient for cooking and baking, it's important to be aware of the potential risks associated with its use. The bleaching process involved in its production and silicone coating applied to it 
and for its non-stick properties may introduce toxic chemicals into your food. Here's one from Science Journal, July 3rd, 2023. Scientists are finally beginning to admit that some side effects from the COVID-19 shot that resemble long COVID symptoms after the actual illness are indeed real. Experts, including physicians, had steadfastly denied the debilitating condition, but it's happening so much, they've begun to change their tune. As reported by Science, Anne-Louise Oaklander, a neurologist and researcher at Harvard Medical School, says, You need to see one or two patients, and then you wonder if it's a coincidence. But by the time you've seen 10 to 20, where there's smoke, there's fire. Persistent headaches, severe fatigue, abnormal heart rate and blood pressure are some of the more prominent symptoms that are reported after both the shot and the disease. While experts say that the shot side effects seem very rare, they still are increasingly finding some alignment with known medical conditions. Even so, Peter Marks, director of the U.S. Food and Drug Administration's Center for Biologics Evaluation and Research, which oversees vaccines, is reluctant to call too much attention to the severe neuropathy, cardiac problems, and nerve damage being reported after shots, saying sensational headlines could mislead the public. Once again, the source, Science Journal, July 3rd, 2023. And in related news, this from The Spun, June 25th, 2023, which is a subsidiary of Sports Illustrated magazine. Dominican pro basketball player Cabrera Adamas has died from an apparent heart attack at the tender age of 28. Previously, Adamas blamed a case of myocarditis following the COVID shots he got. As reported by The Spun, Adamus posted a series of angry comments on social media about being forced to get the shot. Quote, I got a damn myocarditis from taking a effing vaccine. I got two doses of Pfizer and I knew it. Many people warned me, Adamus said. But guess what? It was compulsory or I couldn't work. I am an international professional athlete and I'm playing in Spain. I have no health problems, nothing. Not hereditary, no asthma, nothing. I collapsed to the ground in the middle of a match and I almost died. I'm still recovering and I've had 11 different cardiology tests done and guess what? They find nothing, end of quote. Sadly, Adamus later collapsed with a heart attack during a stress test and did die. My background music today is Farewell Farangistan by Banco de Gaia. And if you enjoy listening to programs like Talking Back here on WOMR, radio, please consider donating to this tremendous station where we are uninhibited and unstoppable when it comes to the fine spoken word and music programming that you get every day from this radio station. 
Give us a call right now and pledge your support. 508-487-2619, 1-800-921-9667, or just go to the website, pound on that donate switch, and we'll be happy to take your pledge of support. Thanks again for listening to Talking Back. I'm Dr. Paula Sperry. We'll see you again next week. In the meantime, be well and love your body. Thank you for tuning into Talking Back. Talking Back is heard on WOMR Radio at 92.1 FM at this time each week. If you have news or comments to share, or you would like to be a guest on Talking Back, write, call, or email this station care of Dr. Paula Sperry, WOMR FM Radio, Post Office Box 975. Provincetown, Massachusetts, 02657. Or you can give us a call. We're at 508-487-2619 or 1-800-921-9667. We're also at www.womr.org online. Tune in next week. And until we meet again, please remember to love your body.